All right, so today um, we've been studying this whole month a sermon series entitled The Pharisee in Me. And the focus has been to, for us to really take a deep look inside of our own hearts to see if there's any of these tendencies that the Pharisees had. They seem to be the greatest opponents of Jesus. When you start looking at Jesus' ministry, he kept running into this group called Pharisees. And the thing is, is that often we read our Bibles and we're like, man, those are the bad guys, right? I mean, that's our natural thing. We look at them and say, wow, they weren't very nice to Jesus. They were trying to trap him. They were trying to ultimately kill him. But what we often don't know is that the Pharisees, when they first started, they were the ones who preserved the church. They were the ones who preserved God's word when everyone else ran away. But through the years, through the many years, they became something they were never intended to be. Isn't that kind of like us? We started off our faith with the greatest of intentions. We started going to church with the greatest of intentions. But you know what? There's also another, step, uh, another statement out there that says hell was paved with the best of intentions. We can soon find ourselves getting off track. Have you ever found yourself, you were, you were man, I am, I'm all Jesus and I'm all in, right? And then you kind of find yourself and you wake up one day and you're like, I am not on the same path I started. Anybody, right? So the whole point of this series is not for us to go, wow, I'm a full-blown Pharisee. It's to say, do I have some of these things inside of me that's starting to come out? Am I starting to see a part of me that I didn't want to be there because we should always do that. We should always come. I believe that every week we show up and we hear the word of God, we should always look at it and say, okay, Lord, what do I need to work on? What can you change in me today? And then we never stop growing. So it's not a, oh, great, I'm getting stepped on again. No, it's we have an opportunity to grow, not get stepped on. All right, so today we're going to be studying the, par- the parable of the prodigal son. Right? Come on now. So this is going to be a lot of fun. I'm really excited. As we're going through this, this, this story, as we're looking at this story, I want you to keep in mind, one, it's not an actual story. It's a parable. A parable is a fictional story used to teach a, a religious principle or a spiritual lesson. In a real-life situation, if your son came demanding his inheritance prior to your death, you would probably disown him and write him out of the will. All right? I'm just telling all my kids, you ask for my stuff before I die, I'm writing you out. All right? All right, so let's begin with the story today. So Luke chapter 15. What we're going to do is we're going to see the setting here. We're going to see where the story is setting. Where did Jesus tell this parable? So it says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them a parable. So I want you to understand the setting. Jesus is having a meal with tax collectors and sinners. Right? But I want you to take notice that there's two groups at this meal. Not the tax collectors and the sinners. That's one group. And then there was another group, Pharisees and the teachers of the law. There were two groups on opposite sides of a spectrum, kind of like the world today, right? We have, 
We have a, a one spectrum of the world, new age postmodernism. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I wanna be free. I wanna live how I wanna live. I wanna do what I see fit. If it feels good, I'm gonna do it. Right? Now, some of us have probably in our life already went down that road, right? Some of us sit down and, and really it wasn't as uh, feel good as we thought it would be, right? Most of us will be able to identify with this prodigal son. On the other side of the spectrum, we begin to see this spectrum of the, on the opposite side is morality. It is a a, I'm going to do good, I'm going to be obedient, I'm going to be a good little boy. Um, and it's uh, where we talk about uh, a based, uh, obedience-based religion. So you have a sin-based religion, and guess what? Both of these spectrums can be found in churches all over America. There are some churches that say, hey, do whatever you want to do, just keep coming here. Well, but what they're doing is they're not showing a path at all to heaven. It's just like we don't, and, and really the churches that just don't call out sin for sin doesn't really care about the people. All they care about is the numbers. Because if we're being honest, we need to be able to be honest about sin because we all deal with it. Every one of us has got some Goliath sins in our own lives, Right? On the other side of that spectrum, then we have this, this where, um, where we come in and we speak the truth, but we speak the truth without love. It's like a battering ram hurting people everywhere they go. What we need to do is find out what was Jesus about and let's be like him. So I want to let you know that uh, Pastor Paul, he was sick. He wasn't, he's not able to be here with us today, but he's been reading a book. Uh, called The Prodigal God by Tim Keller. Pretty neat book if you're looking for a good read. It's, uh, again, Prodigal God by Tim Keller. Um, and he shared some things that he'd been learning and seeing in that book. I've stole a couple of those things. I'm just wanting to be honest out there that um, all of us Christians, we read something, we rip it and redistribute it. We, we, we repackage it and we, and we put it out there. So I'm just like, I love learning, I love growing, and I love being challenged. And so when I do, and I'm like, wow, that really challenged me. I want to share that. And so there's some things today I get to share with you that I was challenged in my own study time. So we're going to break this parable down into three acts. Act one, we're going to talk about the younger son. Act two, we're going to talk about the father. And act three, we're going to talk about the elder brother. Okay, so let's get in. Act 1, we're going to start off by looking at the part of the story where, where uh, the younger son enters the story. Now, we went from verse 3, and you're going to see that we're going to go to verse 11. Jesus told a total of three parables, and I didn't figure that you would want to be here all day and go through all three. So I figured we'll just, well, we're going to skip through the first two, go back and read those, but today we're going to talk about the prodigal son. It was the third one said, and this is how it starts. Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger son said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided the property between them. Now I want to bring out a few things. I'm going to leave this verse here for a few minutes. The younger one. So the younger son said, Father, give me my share of the estate. So in that culture, when the father would pass away, he would leave an inheritance to the children underneath him. 
The older one would always typically get a little bit more than the younger one. But here's what the, the younger son is doing. He's like, I want my share now. The father's still alive, but I want my money and I want it now. You know what I'm saying, right? And the father divided his property between them. So I want you to see this. The younger son wants the presence of his father, but not the presence of his father. If there is something that you guys, I know it rhymes and I'm using, you know, puns, but what I'm really wanting you to see is that there is so much truth and we can often relate to this younger son. I want the stuff that God can give me. I just don't want to spend time in his presence. I mean, wouldn't it be great if we could just skip the whole church thing and stay home and get all the blessings and not have to get up and put on our clothes and go to church and put on a smile. I mean, but that's really where a lot of the world is. It's like, man, I want what God has. I want eternal life. I want, to, to, I want the burden of the sins that I have in my life. I want God to take that away. I want him to forgive me. I want him to redeem me. I want him to save me. But I really don't want to spend a lot of time in his presence because I don't have time to do that. I mean, when I say it out loud, it sounds really terrible, right? But how many of us have done that? I, I can't tell you how many. Well, I don't need to go to church to be saved. But I'll tell you what, man, when we go to church... When we, when, we, when we come to this place together, special things happen in our lives. You know the number one driving factor of why you should want to go to church? The number one driving factor should be because I want to be in His presence. I want to be in the presence of God. Not that you can't do that at home. You should every day. But I want to be in His presence with all of my brothers and sisters. That's when special things happen. When the family gets together. Don't miss this. The younger son wants the possessions. He wants the money. He wants the blessings of the father. But not being in the presence of his father. Isn't that exactly what he's saying? You're still alive. I don't want to wait until you die. I want to move out of the house. I want to get out from underneath your authority. I want to get away from you. And I want my money. And I want to go do my own thing. So I, wanna, I want you to kind of think about this. So there's two sons. Typically, the, the, the older son, not typically, always in that culture, the older son would always get a greater inheritance. Typically, it was two-thirds. The younger son would get one-third. So if you're looking at this, and I'm just doing this as a kind of a give you an idea of what's happening in the story, a little bit of context. Let's just, for easy math, say that the kingdom that his father had was worth $250,000. Two, a third of that, which is what the younger son would be probably receiving, would be about $75,000. Of course, they didn't have American dollars then, but I'm just doing that for our minds in this room. We know that the kingdom that the father would have had, it would have been a lot greater than this, this factor, this amount that we're putting on it because he had a kingdom. Kings have kingdoms. They had servants, many servants that worked the kingdom. So, but just for us, and part of the reason why I wanted to set this price down here is let's say that many of us may be in the room, maybe you own your house, and maybe you own a couple of acres, maybe you own a couple of vehicles and a couple of things, and maybe the value of what you would possess in your life right now, maybe it comes close to the 250 mark. Well, here's the deal. 
if he was to give his son his inheritance in cash value, he'd be like, well, I'm going to write you a check real quick for $75,000. Now, I have a small farm with a bunch of sheep and, and a house and, and a few acres and a few cars, but I can tell you what I do not have in my savings account is $75,000 to any of my children that would ask for it. Like, go borrow like the rest of us. get a job you know let's start there go get a job so the thing is is that I'm wanting you to understand what the son's really asking it's not just write me a check for 75,000 because his his dad doesn't have the cash so guess what the dad is going to have to do if I'm going to give my son what he wants I'm going to have to tear apart my kingdom I'm going to have to sell off maybe a third of the land to give him what his inheritance is. Or he says, okay, I'm going to give you these acres. This is the third of land that you have. And then he says, okay, so it's mine. Yes, I'm deeding it over to you. It's for sale. Who wants to buy it? I'm taking my money and I'm out of here. Can you imagine how devastating and painful and hurtful that would be to the father who built it? You guys following me here? Because a little bit we're going to figure out that the father's actually the father, right? Who's building a kingdom. And I say, God, I want my part of the kingdom now. I don't want to be in your presence. I don't want to go to all that churchy stuff. And and God, I'm really busy right now. I just want what's mine. I want what's coming to me. Well, we got real, didn't we? Maybe you can relate with this younger son. So his father would have to rip apart this kingdom. And I want you to see how self-centered this younger son is. Because I want us to understand how self-centered we can be too. Can't we? I mean, if we're being honest, can't we be pretty? God, I just want you to fix everything in my life right now. What if God has orchestrated that your faith is going to walk through that storm so that you can be a light to everybody else going through the same storm? So many times we can be so selfish. God, I want you to fix everything. God, I want you to do this, and I want you to do this, and I want you to do this. It's like the younger son going to his father demanding a part of the kingdom. Let's continue. Since we're getting an awkward silence going on. So, (laughs) verse 13. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, and he set off for a distant country. And there he squandered his wealth in wild living. Later on, we hear that it's with prostitutes. Well, ask your mothers. Um, After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the land and the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen. Uh, Hiring yourself out would often be like a bond slave. I don't have money to have a land. I don't have money to get an apartment. I don't have money for food. So listen, I'll slave myself out to you if you will take care of me. That's what a bond slave was. You made the choice. I'm bonding myself to you if you'll take care of me. Um, So he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who spent Uh, who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. Something to understand about pigs is to the Jew, it's an unclean animal. The worst job that a Jew could have is dealing with pigs because they believed, if you even touched them, that you're unclean now. So here's a Jew from a prominent family doing the absolute worst job that you could have to a Jew. One of the worst jobs. 
And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. He's saying that he was so hungry that he desired to eat the pig slop that was he was feeding the pigs. That's how bad his life got. Typically, when we run from God, isn't that kind of the direction we just, the farther we won't run from God, it just keeps going downhill, downhill, until one day you wake up and you find yourself wallowing in self-pity and you're just stuck in a mess. Am I right? You know what I'm saying, right? So here he is, the son who was so selfish, who, who took a third of the kingdom from his father, squandered it. Did you catch the word squandered? I mean, he, he, how do you squander a third of a kingdom? Well, just ask the prodigal son. He did, right? He found a way. He squandered it. And, and probably think about all the times he spent partying with people and he was giving them money and he was paying their way and they were all having a good time and he was really probably a, a popular person. When he was in need, where was his friends? A whole nother sermon for another time. So I'm not going to go very far down there, but think about that. No one gave to him. No one. Next verse, verse 17. When he came to his senses, <laughs> all right? When you finally, you, you ran so far from God that there is no one left in your life and you find yourself what you think you're all alone, Right? You're all alone, you're rejected by the world, you're sitting there in a pile of slop, stuck in a life, stuck in a place that you don't want to be. He comes to his senses and he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? They have more than they need. He's working and not even having enough to fill his stomach. Here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven. In other words, I've sinned against God and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And so he got up and went to his father. <laughs> Isn't this remarkable? When you really think about what's happening, here's this arrogant, selfish little boy that ripped his father's kingdom apart and he took off and he absolutely squandered it all. Made an absolute mess. And even in this moment, he still knows that he can go back home. Isn't that the church? Right? No matter how big of a mess I made in my life, I can still go back home. How many of you have made a mess of your life and you realized I can go back home? Right? That's why we have to understand this. If a Pharisee is running the house, you don't get to go back home. You made your choices. You made the bed, now you sleep in it. But when we have the Father, 
We know we can go back home. So he writes up this plan. He comes to his senses. He has a plan. It's first, I'm going to go home. He knows it's a place of belonging. There's many servants, and they all have extra food. There's a place I can go. I can belong. I can be fed. I'll be accepted right where I'm at. Secondly, I'll become a hired hand. That's part of his plan. I'm going to become a hired hand because I desire to pay back. See, you don't, if you, if you just, if, if he came back, he could easily have came back and said, well, I'm your son. I messed up. Um, you know, let me start over. No, this is a picture of true repentance. True repentance. I have sinned against God and I've sinned against this person on earth. I have fallen short of God's glory in this. I made a mess of my life. I have sinned. That's the first step. I have sinned. But what's so amazing is then he says he realizes, he looks at himself and he has a really true evaluation of himself. I don't deserve, right? I don't deserve to be called a son. I don't deserve this. And he didn't. I mean, really, did he? Really? I mean, we look at it like, yeah, you're absolutely right. You don't deserve, you're unworthy to be called a son. <laughs> and yet, here he is. He's ready to go back home. He's ready to face the music. I love in this that he wanted to make a restitution see that's a part of repentance a lot of times we kind of twist repentance and make it very very what we want it to be uh, god i'm sorry forgive me but there's nothing in our heart that says god i want to make this right right i mean come on right i mean if we're being honest and we're really going to deal with sin how many times do i just like god i just want you to fix it god I, i'm sorry i messed up forgive me how many times do we say god I need to make it right with all these people that I hurt. God, I need to make it right with my wife. God, I need to make it right with my kids. God, I need to make it right with you. The first thing he said is, God, I, or Dad, I have sinned against heaven. I've sinned against my God. I've sinned against my Savior. I messed up there first, and then I messed up. I want to make it right with you, but I got to first make it right with God. So often we're like, God, yeah, you know, <laughs> you, you saw, you know, you're there, so I messed up, and you know, you know, forgive me. And there's not that desire of like, God, I'm so sorry. I don't even know how to make it right, but God, I want to make it right. God, I don't want to be like that. I don't want to live like that, and I don't want to act like that. So he's made this plan. He's ready to head back. So now we, we enter into Act 2. In, in verse 20, now we're going to be seeing how the father responds to the son. So while he was still a long way off, so as this prodigal son running, while he was, was how far off? A long way off. Isn't that amazing? I mean, if it was me, I would have been up there. I'm like, I'm going to make him walk. I'm going to make him take the walk of shame. 
Come on, parents. You're laughing because you're like, you walk barefooted all the way to the door, and I'm not going to answer. I'm going to make it feel like no one's home. Kind of like that old country song, it's cold outside, let me sleep on the floor. Honey, why don't you open that door? Honey! Right, no, it's okay, sorry. So, all right. Eh, it takes me back. All right, so, so we have the father, but here's the thing. While the son was still a long way off. Now, the father doesn't know all of the changes. The father doesn't know the heart yet. The father doesn't know these things. Now, our heavenly father does, but in, the, in this parable. So here's the deal, though. This is a, a parable of an earthly father, and he's looking out. He sees his son. He doesn't know any changes yet. He just knows my son who's been away and who's been lost in life is coming back home. I see my son walking this way. That's all he knows. And it says, filled, he saw him and he was filled with what? Compassion. Compassion. Compassion is not just a feeling. Compassion is an action verb. It's going to make you do something. If it's real compassion, it will always lead you to real action. And the father ran to his son. Isn't that amazing? He ran. Didn't walk. I mean, and really, if you think about this, in that culture, for, for a king... To, uh, for a man of prominent position, would never run. He's too good to run. Only criminals run. I'm not running. <laughs> there's even a verse. I have this. I'm, I want to get this shirt that, that talks about, you know, there's a, there's a ver Bible verse that actually says that we're not supposed to run. But I'll, I'll wear that one day. So, anyways. So, he has compassion. He runs, Right? He runs to his son. He not only runs to him, but he then throws his arms around him. What has his son been doing for a job? Feeding what? They smell great. They're the best smelling animal in the animal kingdom. If you've ever had a pig, bleh, can you imagine somebody feeding them? All day long and being in that with them, right? I mean, that, whoo. And you're talking about a king, a prominent person, a respected person to embrace someone. And he would know that smell as you got closer to it. He would know that his son is unclean, and yet he compromised that anyways. See, a lot of times we skip over that detail, don't we? This father, if he was a really good Jew, right? If he was a really good Pharisee, he would know better. If I hug this person, I'm going to be unclean, and now I'm going to have to go clean myself from your filth. Think about it. Maybe if I touch you, it'll rub off on me. Maybe if I become friends with you because I want to see God do something in your life, maybe that'll rub off on me too. But not this father. He wraps his arms around him and he, what? Kissed him. Wow. 
That's a beautiful picture. Now, I want you to remember, Jesus is telling this story in front of two groups of people. On one side, you have the tax collectors and sinners that he's eating with. They've been running from God for a long time. And on the other side of this table, you have the Pharisees and the teachers who haven't ran from God. Or in their mind, they haven't ran from him. Mm. Because remember, he said, this guy's a friend of sinners. And he welcomes them. He welcomes them. He eats with them. Mm. So compassion. The father runs to those who come to him. What's so amazing is that no matter how far you run from the father, the moment you stop running and simply just turn around, there the father is. Isn't that amazing? This parable is not just a parable, a made-up fictional story. It's something that every one of us has, has, has found in our own life. There was a time in your life that you ran from God, and you ran, and you ran, and you ran, and you ran, and all of a sudden, one day, you stopped running and said, I am tired of the insanity. I'm tired of, of living in this mess. I'm tired of being stuck. And what did you do? You turned around, and there he was. There he was right when you turned around. That's the compassion of the Father. Repentance, remember that that repentance at its simplest form is simply changing direction. It's turning around. It's turning away from sin and turning back to God. And the moment I turn away from sin, I find my Father, ready to receive me with open arms. That is the best part of the gospel. God doesn't make you take the walk of shame. You turn around and you receive an embrace. Then why is it that so many churches, when you turn around, you are received with condemnation and judgment and self-righteousness. That's not how we were received, was it? Because it's really easy to let that little Pharisee inside of me where I start looking at other people and why don't you have your life straightened up like me? Right? When all along we're, we're still a little bit of a mess inside too, aren't we? Just trying to figure out this thing called life. so amazing in this story that Jesus is showing an attribute of who the Father is. (laughs) Well, let's keep going. Verse 21. But the Father said to his servants, quick. Everybody say quick. Is quick quick? Quick is quick, right? I mean, like, don't, it's not like, hey, uh, take your time sometime today. It's he says, so the Father is embracing. So you picture this. He runs out to meet. So if you see the king running down the road, all the servants are like, what's going on? We got to go, you know, the security team, hut, 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 hut. they're all like with him, right? I mean, like a, the king's running out like a crazy man. We got to go make sure he's going to be okay, right? And so then they're all, so the father embraces him, embraces him and kisses him and then says, quick. I mean, this is it. 
He just got done kissing his son. He doesn't ask, how are you? Hey, do you have any of the money that you owe me back? I mean, that wasn't a conversation, right? It wasn't like, hey, you owe me 20 bucks from high school. I'll get it to you, Jared. Sorry. So, but, but what's happening here is, is that he's, he's right now in this moment, he doesn't say, hey, did you get your life switched around? Have you changed up? Have you figured it out? Are you ready to do the right thing? No, he kisses him, turns to his servants, and he says, quick, quick. Oh, I'm a little bit further off, sorry. There we go. Quick. <laughs> I was very slow in getting the slide there. You're like, I don't know what Bible he's reading, but it doesn't say that. <laughs> quick, right? So he says, quick. And what's so amazing about this, he says, bring the best robe, right? Bring the best robe and put it on him. Didn't, I would have said, give him a shower, <laughs> then put the best robe. No. Get him cleaned. I, I, he smells like pigs. Let's cl- no, put my best robe. Put the best. Not just a robe. Don't get the, hey, you know the dirty one that's kind of, you know, like how we have clothes. It's, like, it's not the clean, clean one. It's not still hanging up. It's the not the dirty, dirty enough to put in the dirty clothes. The one that's still laying on the floor in the back of the closet that I'm thinking I'm going to wear again. Get that robe. No, it's get the best robe. And, and put a ring on his finger. The ring... Is, is, is something that a, a father would give to his sons and it would show that they carry the authority of the father. That wasn't just any ring. It is the ring of the family. So he would put that ring on and the moment it was wearing the ring, it told all the servants, this young man here carries the authority of the father. Well, I don't know that I would. I was like, get a robe, put some clothes on this guy, but we'll see if we're going to give him the ring or not. And get him some sandals for his feet. You see, if you, were a bare, if you walked around barefooted, it was because you didn't have enough money to buy sandals. And he's like, no. He's, and slaves would not have sandals. No, he's not a slave. He's my son. Mmm. Mmm. Right? And then I want you to go and kill. Quick, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Maybe I think maybe something that's the most profound part of this entire thing is that is when we are in the presence of the Father, that's when we receive the more. You see, the son came and demanded it. I don't want to really be in your presence, but I want everything that you have to offer. And he just didn't get it. It's when you're in the presence of God. It's when you get all of those blessings and all of those things that you really want, you don't even know you want, all the things that you need that you don't know that you need, you find them in the presence of God. That's why this is so powerful. That's why lives are all, all the time being changed is because we, are, we value being in the presence of God. And when you're in his presence, then you begin to just receive things because when the Father is embracing you, he wants to give you things. When you are in his presence, he wants to give. He's like, quick, get it. 
And I'm like, wouldn't, wouldn't every one of us done that differently? I mean, if I'm being honest, that's why I'm not God. There's a reason I'm not God. And there's a reason you're not God. Right? <laughs> Praise God that we're not God. Because we would all been taking the walk of shame. And there would have been a time limit. Two weeks. You're going to live in the barn. I might give you a pair of shoes, maybe. After the cow dung's already squished between your toes, I'll think about it. You're welcome for the visual and the... Like, everybody's like, oh, yeah. So, isn't it amazing? This is what I love the most is this. When he sought out the presence, he stopped asking for things, and he sought the presence. I just, I just need to get back home. I just need to see my father again. We can get this worked. I just need to be. And all of a sudden, the father embraces him and says, now that you're in my presence, I'm going to give you all of these things. Isn't that great? Isn't that, to me, when I, when I was, when I was, when I, I've been praying all week, I'm like, Lord, show me something. And this was it. This was the, this was like, God, I want to give one thing that if they only get one thing. Guys, I'm telling you really plainly as plain, this is the thing. This is the thing that we need to take home with us today. I need to seek to be in the presence of my Father. And when I'm in His presence, that's when all the more stuff happens. But I don't need to come to God and say, God, I want all the more without being in your presence. That's what separates being a son and a prodigal son. That's the difference. And what's so amazing is that when we stop asking for all of those things, that's when God just gives them. He didn't ask for it. He didn't say, God, Dad, I'm kind of cold. Could I have a robe? Dad, I'm embarrassed, but I don't have any shoes. Dad, I would really like to be your son. Would you give me the ring? Dad, I'm hungry. Just a piece of bread would be great. He didn't ask for any of those things, did he? Think about that. He didn't ask. Don't miss the details when you're reading the Bible. The details are the best part. That's what makes it come alive. All right, so they began to celebrate, Woohoo! and that's when the conflict begins. So we go to the final act. Yeah, see how I did that? The final act. All right, final countdown. Okay, so, all right, so the elder brother, so now the elder brother is going to enter into this story. So here we go. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field, and when it came near to the house, he heard music and dancing, so he called one of his servants and asked them, What's going on? Your brother has come, your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he was he he, he has him safe and sound. He has him back safe and sound. So if I could read that would help. So the son, the, the older son, the elder brother, okay, he's out working. He's doing what he's supposed to do. Remember, he's been working the whole time. He's been doing all the things. He's been a good little boy. He's been obedient the whole time. And now, this younger Yahoo has come back home, right? The fattened calf is a big deal, guys. It takes a long time. I would ask my cattleman in the room, 
I don't want to put them on the spot completely, but it takes a long time to fatten up the calf. It's not just like, hey, take it off the mom. I mean, you're graining. You're putting that thing in a lot. You're, you're pouring on feet, and it costs the money. Typically, those are the ones that you sell so that you can eat the, 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 the cheap meat, right? <laughs> like, that's the farmer's life. I can't eat what I'm growing, you know? <laughs> Somebody else is going to enjoy that, but you, you pay a lot of money to fatten them. I mean, this is a big deal. This isn't a, hey, we got a goat. We're going we're gonna to eat the goat. No, we're going to eat the fattened calf. We only got one. This is what we're going to spend the one on. See, I want you to picture also that Jesus is telling this parable with the original listeners. Sinners and the tax collectors are liking this story pretty good. But I'm telling you, the Pharisees didn't. This absolutely offended them. This is absolutely against everything that they've ever been taught or ever learned. There's no talk about restoration. There's no talk about repayment. There's no talk about what you need. You can come back, but this is how you're going to behave. This is what you're going to do. I mean, there's, hey, where's all the, Jesus has left all that important stuff out in their minds. The father was accepting a sinner back without payment or expectation at this moment. That's what they saw. Right? Careful, pastor. Careful. Verse 28. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. Did you see that? Because by now, this older brother is kind of a jerk. Doesn't even show up when his younger brother comes back home. His younger brother had made a mess of his life, but he came back home, and we're not even there. He, he doesn't even care. I mean, I mean, we don't know how many times maybe this younger brother went out and made a blunder of his life, right? I mean, you know what I'm talking about. How many times have we went out there and messed up in our life, and then at some point the family just kind of gives up hope on you, right? Has that happened to anybody, right? That's the younger brother right now. They're like, okay, you're a lost cause. This ain't going to happen. And the older brother's like, oh, here we go again. And, and I'm wanting you to understand this older brother, he's being a jerk right now. He doesn't even go into the house. He refuses to go in. I'm not even going to go in and look upon my younger brother. And yet, he has, what, zero compassion here, right? He is zero like his father. And yet, his father went out to him too. See? It wasn't like, I'm going to go out to the, I'm going to go meet the younger son, and my older son should know better, so I'm going to leave him out in the field. No, it was, he went to him too. Just like the younger son, the father went to both of them. He met them both right where they were. Both of them. You see, the father will meet you right where you are. No matter who you are, where you are, or what you've done. But I need you to hear me. I hear the phrase all the time. God will meet you where you are, but he won't leave you there. That's not true. It's not. We say it all the time. I've said it, and I started reading this story. 
No, he'll meet you exactly where you are and he will invite you to come back with him. But he won't make you. There's a lot of people when God meets them right where they are and pleads with their heart, turn from that sin and come back home, they stay in the field anyways. Come on, right? God won't make you. He won't make you. You have, it's your, it's, this is where free will comes in. You have a choice. You make the choice. Do I want to stay angry? Or am I willing to go back home? Am I willing to get over this anger? You know, here's the thing. At this point, the, the older brother, he's, it's his turn to insult the family. He, he, he insults his father by refusing to go in and to be a part of this family. I won't be a part of the family if that son's in it. Have you ever, like, I'm not going to church if they're going? Come on. Oh, right? I won't be a part of the family if I don't get my way. I won't be a part of the family if someone offends me. Come on. We get offended easily. I mean, like, I remember a time that you could actually speak to people and they wouldn't be offended. Now it's like, I don't even know if I could say something without offending someone because we're so easily offended. Really? Like, man, grow up. Don't be so, come on. I'm offended every time I go to the bathroom, but I still got to go. All right, okay, now we're, now we're, now we're speaking as okay. All right. I want you to also catch the, the language here of this older brother. So I want you to, to, to catch this here. So in verse, verse 29, the, the son answers the father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you, and I've never disobeyed your orders, yet... You never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. He still misses it. It's not about your friends. It's about being in the presence of your father that you've had the whole time. He's been there the whole time and he had the father the whole time. And he missed it. Yet you never gave me this young goat. Then he says, but when this son of yours... It doesn't say my brother, doesn't my little, my little kid brother. No, this son of yours. When this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? Ooh. Bitter much. Yeah, jealous. Everything, right? This is not a good look on us, guys. When you see somebody else that went out and made a mess of their life and then they're back in, in church and you're like, oh, great, they're back again. Are we, are we serious right now? Like, the father's getting the fattened calf out. And like, yes, you were dead, but now you're alive. And we're sitting here going, well, I don't want to be there if they're in there. Or my favorite is like, what are you doing in church? Are you kidding? I'm glad that you're here. 
I, I love it when people are like, uh, Pastor, you know, I've been out of church a long time, and if I walk through, the whole place is coming down. I'm like, ah, you don't know our contractor. <laughs> <laughs> Gary knows how to build a building, you know what I'm saying? This thing ain't coming down. But if you think that you're powerful enough to bring it down, we've got great insurance. We'll rebuild it. Woo! Gary's like, See, I want you to see this. This elder brother cares more about the presence of his father than the presence of his father. You see, he's the same, he's the same thing. He really cared about more about his father's possessions. He cared more about a goat. He cared more about a calf. He cared more about the property and what it was squandered on than he cared about how his father felt about the younger son. Ooh, come on, we're having church today. Think about this. He didn't care about what his father cared about. He cared about what he was getting. And now he sees his youngers and he goes, now you're going to kill one of the fattened calves on him? That's part of my stuff too, dad. Remember, you already gave it to him. He already squandered it. Anything that the father's using now is going to cost the older brother. Oh, come on now. We see that now, don't we? Like, oh, oh. See, they were the same. Neither one of them cared about the presence of the Father. They only wanted what the Father had. Even though one was sitting there in obedience, there's a lot of people who will sit in church and be obedient to the Word of God and still not desire the presence of their Father. Mm. How easy it is to get there. I remember there was a time in my life where the chance of snow happened, and you're like, good, we can cancel church, and I can have a day off. Not last night. I was like, God, please keep that stupid snow away. Bring it on Monday. I don't care. Lord, I want to be in your presence. I just can't wait to be in your presence again. That's what happens. The more we're in the presence of God the more we crave the presence of God. And we can't wait until next Sunday. We can't wait until the next Sunday. And even though we get that throughout the week, it's something when brothers and sisters, and the elder brother missed it all. He missed it. He only could see how the younger son was costing him. He only cared about his father's estate, but not the father. He cared about being rewarded for his obedience so he could go spend time with celebrating with his friends, but not celebrating when his father wanted to celebrate. He wanted to be celebrated for his obedience, not for the salvation of his wayward little brother. Right? This is rich. This is so good for us. Luke 15, we'll finish out the story here. My son, the father said, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate. And we have to be glad because the brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. He's trying to get his, his older son to get it. We have to celebrate. He was dead. He's alive. We celebrate with these things. I, 
I'm amazed at how gentle the father is with this attitude of the son, right? Just as I wouldn't have done the first, you know, I wouldn't have been like the first father. I would have made the walk of shame happen. I probably would have, you know, grounded them for a long time before I would let them, you know, maybe might call you son or daughter, you know, like I'm going to, you're going to, you're going to do the walk. I mean, that's how I would have done it. And here I would have, I, oh, when I saw, if I would have seen the heart of that, I'm going to rip, I'm going to, so I would have not been gentle on either one. And that's why I'm not God. And that's why none of us are. That's why God didn't ask any of us to judge. He didn't ask any of us to be self-righteous because we're on one side of the spectrum. When you mess up, you will start going to one side or the other. When we're not in the perfect presence of God and we're just staying right here, we end up going one way or the other. We start walking down to the wild living or we start going down to this way of like, I'm obedient and I want to be celebrated. Mm, 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 mm. So I want you to consider this. The younger son comes home and gets a Pharisee for an older brother. <laughs> right? You've been, you, 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 and here's the thing is it, 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 we, we picture when we're the older brother Pharisee, we picture them having a good time. We don't realize that, yeah, they may be smiling and laughing it up and then they're throwing up the next three days. But here's the reality. They're not really having fun. They think that this is what fun is, but it's not. They don't have any real friends. They don't have any real family. They don't have, they don't have the presence of God with them. They're lost trying to figure out life. And, the, and many times it's not even enjoying it. It's just trying to cope with the pain that they have and don't realize that the presence of the Father fixes that too. So I want you to, I want you to, uh, this is my last slide. You're welcome. So just to let you know, we're there. We're, 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 we're here. We've arrived. Um, this younger son, he comes home and he gets a Pharisee for an elder brother. But I want you to think about this. I, I want you to, so in the Bible, the scriptures tell us in, in 1 John 3 that because of God's great love for us, he lavished his love that we would be called what? Children of God. Okay? I'm not Jesus. You're not Jesus. But Jesus is the son of God. And if I'm a child of God, Jesus is my elder brother. See, we all received the elder brother that we were supposed to receive. One who was filled with compassion and love. Who, what, who became the sacrificial lamb for us. Who, who made sure that the little brother could come home. Jesus did all of that. He's trying to get the Pharisees to open their eyes and say, Listen, I am that elder brother. And I'm not a Pharisee, and I'm not going to treat you. I'm going to love you. I want you to come home. So I want you to think about this. We have Jesus as our elder brother, but consider spiritual, the spiritual realm, every, every one of us brothers and sisters to one another. Some of us have been sitting in this church a long time, and we're an elder brother or sister to someone else. And somebody walks in the door to this place. What kind of older brother or sister will you be hmm right you see what i'm saying isn't it isn't the story remarkable because every one of our lives fit in it it's there 
And then now we can sit back and say, okay, God, we're closing up this whole, whole series. The Pharisees didn't like that Jesus was, was being nice to sinners. You should, you, should, you should give them the sermon of their life. You should tell them to turn or burn or get a lighter and put it under their chin and say, hell's hot, come on home. You know, I mean, you know, like, you know, that's some, some people use that kind of evangelism. I don't know, you know. <laughs> so, I snorted. I, I can't believe I just did that. Well, <laughs> that's great. You're welcome for that too. So I want us to think about this though as we're getting ready to, worship team's gonna come on up and here's, here's the thing. As we, are, we, as we open up the altars, now here's the thing, as I know um, I, I, I preach longer than the average bear and our services run a little bit longer than other services, um, I, I don't apologize for that because I, I don't like to leave. Um, but I do want you to know is that if you, know, if you ever have somewhere to go, it doesn't offend me when I, if, I see, if I see people you know, cut out during our invitation time. But I would only ask this. If you do feel like, man, I got to get out of here and I can't stay and I don't want to be rude, it's not being rude, but I do want you to be quiet. I mean, because there are people I want to be, I, my favorite time of the service is what happens now. Because when we come to the altar, it's saying, God, I need, I need you to work. I, I'm that prodigal son coming home or I'm pro- prodigal daughter coming home. God, I'm that older brother that's been a jerk and I, I want to make this right with you and I want us to be able to do that. How we always end our services is, is at the altar, and then we close with one last song that gives us an opportunity to give. All of these things are a part of worship as well. So I want you to bow your head, and I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to ask that question. What kind of older brother or older sister have I been up to this point? If you find that you've been Maybe that prodigal child running away. Maybe you've been the, the older brother or sister that's more like a Pharisee and very judgmental sometimes. Maybe this is that point of saying, God, I don't want to be that. I want to come home and I want to be the kind of child you want me to be. See, God lavished his love on us that we would be called children of God. And I want to make my daddy proud. Don't you, don't we all want to make our Father proud more than anything in our life? Maybe you've been chasing your earthly father, trying to make him proud. Maybe you've succeeded or maybe you never have. I want to encourage you to chase after the presence of our Heavenly Father. Live your life for Him. He loves you. He calls you child. He gave you the best big brother you could ever have. A lot of us come from messed up families. But not God's family. So the altar is open. If there's anything that you need to lay down, come. Lay it down. If you just need to God, I just need to be in your presence. I just need this, this moment with you. Then come take that moment. Not saying that you can't do it from your seat. But when you come to this altar, you're not alone. You'll never be alone at this altar. 
you'll have big brothers and sisters coming around you to pray with you, to lift you up, to just stand by you.